Well, let's take a moment and pause and pray for all of our mothers as well as others that have uh, influenced and impacted us in profound ways. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us each day. We thank you for your provision for us. We thank you for your design. Lord, we thank you for mothers. We thank you for grandmothers, for aunts, for, for women who have uh, influenced us for the better. Lord, we're grateful for them this morning. Lord, we pray that you would um, bless them today, that today would be uh, a day of joy in you for your daughters. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, last week we started a new message series looking at the New Testament book of James, the letter that James wrote. And we said that the title of this particular series will be Living Faith because it is descriptive of faith in action. James was particularly interested, not not in just a conceptual idea of faith, uh, faith as knowledge, but faith that puts itself into everyday living in the world for followers of Jesus Christ. Now the James, in reference, we said, is the half-brother of Jesus. Being the half-brother of Jesus, because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, while James and the other siblings were conceived in the usual manner by Mary and Joseph. And we said that this particular letter was written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So James writes this letter, and specifically this is a letter that circulates most likely from church to church among believers who have, who have been scattered from their homeland, Jewish Christians who have been scattered from their homeland in Israel. Some of them perhaps were scattered, their ancestors were scattered centuries earlier, Uh, during the time in which the Assyrians and the Babylonians invaded Israel. Perhaps still others were scattered because they were Christians, because of their faith in Christ, after the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Christ. Because we read in the New Testament book of Acts that after the death of Stephen, after the stoning of Stephen, persecution broke out among Christians in Jerusalem. And as a result, they scattered and the church flourished In various places. Now, our message for this morning is not specifically targeting mothers. It's a message for all. Message for all, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless of geographic location. But I do think that we'll see from our text this morning what really matters in life. And as a result, something that we should be very thankful for if we see those qualities in mothers, grandmothers, aunts, and teachers, and others, mentors who have led us and instructed us and taught us and raised us in the Lord. I want to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 1. James is near the end of your Bible. And this morning from James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, I believe that we'll see that the only proper basis of confidence in this world is our identification with Jesus Christ. The only proper basis of confidence in this world is our identification with Jesus Christ. In other words, the only thing that is truly sufficient 
for confidence as we face life from day to day is where we stand with Jesus Christ. Our status in Christ. Our position in Christ. So I invite you to look with me together at God's word this morning. James chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, you don't have to spend very long in the Bible. You don't have to spend very long in God's Word to see that the ways of God are not the ways of the world. The way that God operates is not the same way that the world operates. In fact, God specializes in doing things that are improbable and even impossible by worldly standards. You might think of a little baby boy that was born into the tribe of Levi during a time in which all the Israelites were living as slaves in Egypt. During that time, the the king of Egypt ordered that, that all male Israelite babies be thrown into the Nile River and left for the crocodiles. If you're like I am and you love to watch Discovery Channel or Nat Geo Wild or Animal Planet, then you know there are some pretty fierce-looking crocodiles in the Nile River. But Moses, a man who, as an adult, was self-diagnosed with a speech impediment, the one that God would use to lead millions, in fact, to demand before the king of Egypt, before Pharaoh, that Millions of Israelite slaves be allowed to walk away free. You might think of Gideon, the one that God called and chose to, to lead the Israelites in battle against the Midianites and the Malachites and all the other eastern people who were so numerous and their camels were so numerous that they couldn't even be counted. Judges chapter 6, verse 6. And yet God wouldn't allow Gideon to lead the Israelites in a battle with 32,000 men against these people because that might just come across as too equal of a battle. In fact, God wouldn't even allow Gideon to to lead them in battle with 10,000 troops because even then they, they still might boast that they had done something on their own, in their own strength. And so God causes Gideon, leads Gideon to reduce his army to just 300 men. We read in Judges chapter 7, verse 22, that when those 300 men blew 300 trumpets, the Lord caused the armies to turn on each other, to begin killing each other. In that way, the, the Israelites were miraculously delivered from the hand of their enemies. Or you might think of young David, the shepherd boy. One who God used to, to fight and to kill Goliath 
giant, thereby conquering the Philistines, the same one that would become a great king of God's people under the hand of God. Or you might think of young Mary, the peasant girl, was born in a little town few people knew anything of, Nazareth. A little dot on the map in the hill country of Galilee. Yet this was the young woman that God used to birth and to raise the Son of God. Folks, God's ways of operation are different from the world's ways of operation. And so it should be no surprise to us that God is often not that interested in some of the things that the world is interested in. God is often not that interested in some of the same things that we pursue as people in the world. It should be no surprise to us that God is really not that interested in how much attention we give to wealth and material pursuits and accomplishments and personal achievements in this life. In fact, God's word is clear that worldly possessions are temporary. But one's status in Christ remains forever. Worldly possessions are temporary, but one's status in Christ remains forever. And for this reason, Jesus said, Do not store up or lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and Where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it doesn't take a genius to know that that what you have won't be worth much of anything, if anything, in 500 years. In fact, what you have and what you accomplish in this life probably won't be worth anything in 100 years certainly won't be worth anything to you at that point. But I want us to see this morning from God's word that those who are in Christ, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for life and salvation and forgiveness, have something that lasts forever, have something that will not fade away. They have something that, unlike an old car, It won't ever rust. Unlike old wood, it won't rot. Unlike an old house, it won't cave in on itself. Unlike an old body, it it won't wear out. It won't die like a battery. It won't be depleted like a bank account. Worldly possessions are temporary. But one's status in Christ remains forever. And according to God's word, and even according to our passage for this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ redefines a person's status. Redefines a person's position. In fact, the gospel exalts the poor and lowly. The gospel exalts the poor and lowly. Look back at James chapter 1, verse 9. Believers in Humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. According to the content of this particular letter that James wrote, 
We know that his recipients, at least many of them, were poor by worldly standards. In fact, that's what, that's what he means when he says humble circumstances, lowly circumstances. This is referring to those that are low on the socioeconomic scale. Low on the socioeconomic status pole. And yet, James tells these individuals, impoverished in the eyes of the world, that they ought to take pride in their high position. Do what? That doesn't make a lot of sense. It would be sort of like going down to the Jimmy Hill mission and talking to some men that at present don't have much of anything, if hardly anything, by worldly standards and telling them to take pride, to boast about their high position, to boast about their status, to boast about who they are. most, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Have you ever noticed that if you just kind of pull random verses out of Scripture, a lot of times they don't make a lot of sense. That's why context is so important as we read and study and interpret and apply God's Word to our lives. And not only the context around a particular passage or phrase, but the context of all of Scripture as a whole. Scripture is understood in light of Scripture. And so apart from knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, James chapter 1 verse 9 doesn't make any sense. But James's readers, believers that he is writing to, and believers today, believers who make up Meadowbrook Baptist Church, have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and hopefully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in light of that truth, in light of that reality, James chapter 1 verse 9 makes perfect sense. Because we know that when you believed, when you trusted in Christ, when you believed you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. James chapter 2, very next chapter, verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? Those who are poor in the eyes of the world, rich in faith, thereby receiving an inheritance. Those who have trusted in Christ for salvation, regardless of what they have in this world, regardless of what they've accomplished in this world, are on a pathway to receiving an inheritance from God. An inheritance as children of God. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So according to the Word of God, those who are poor, powerless, 
meager accomplishments in the eyes of the world by the standards of the world. If they know Christ, they are rich in God. They matter to God. Nobody's in the eyes of the world becomes somebody's in the eyes of God for all of eternity. Not because they've done anything on their own or accomplished anything on their own. That would be contrary to the very nature of the gospel. But because God has lavished His grace on them, according to the riches of His grace, to borrow another phrase from Ephesians chapter 1, gospel exalts the poor and lowly and that very same gospel humbles the rich and accomplished. The gospel humbles the rich and accomplished. Look back at James chapter 1 verse 10. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. I was reading this and thinking about this. I sort of thought about Deputy Barney Fife, the sidekick of Sheriff Andy Taylor, standing behind the sheriff and pointing the finger at someone else, saying, yeah, you get them, blaming someone else for, for their bad behavior. And sometimes I think when we read God's word, it's easy for us to sort of do the same. Step back and say, you get them, God. You tell those rich people to get things straightened out. But the truth is, from global perspective today, nearly every single one of us, if not every single one of us, are rich by the world's standards. Rich, wealthy. We are like those wealthy Christians that James is writing to in James chapter 1, verse 10. According to God's word, whatever we have, will fade away. Whatever we've accomplished will fade away. No matter how much wealth we've accrued in this life, it will fade away. And not only will it fade away, but you and I will fade away. The rich will fade away. That's what James is saying here in verses 10 and 11. The rich will fade away. No matter who we are, no matter what we've accomplished, no matter how much stuff we have, One day it's going to pass away and we will pass away. We may pass away after a long and hard fought battle with disease or we may pass away suddenly from a heart attack or we might even live a full life, a long life by worldly standards but one day death will come. We will pass away. Trials will come. Disease will come. Discomforts will come. And the truth, according to the Word of God, is that none of us are ultimately in control of our own destiny. I know that sounds a bit anti-American because we're so used to to being told and, and most likely we even tell our children, you can do whatever you want if you simply work hard enough and put your mind to it. Church, that's not fully true. No one has ever accomplished anything. No one has ever accrued anything. No one has ever done anything apart from the grace of the sovereign God in their life. 
somebodies in this world are nobodies without the grace of God. The only proper basis of confidence in this world is our identification with Jesus Christ. Another way of stating the truth of this passage is that the gospel eliminates worldly value distinctions revolving around possessions and accomplishments. The gospel eliminates, does away with worldly value distinctions and designations that are attributed to certain people, certain individuals based on what they have and what they have accomplished. Look back at the text. Look back at James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Oftentimes in this life, the end comes unexpectedly. It comes without warning. And the picture that's used here, the illustration that's used here is of a, a wildflower that suddenly dies. And we're familiar with this to a certain degree. We, we know that plants and flowers bloom in the spring and as the seasons change later in the year, they all began to disappear and die. But we're not fully capable without some exploration of grasping the picture that James is communicating in our particular climate because what he is most likely referring to is the dry, easterly, hot desert wind that comes oftentimes without any warning and immediately kills flowers and vegetation in its path. End often comes about unexpectedly, even as we go about the business of life. The gospel of Jesus Christ, good news that God has come to save and to restore and to forgive lost and broken sinners by the grace of His sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross, that gospel levels the plane equals the plane because that gospel says that those who have little by the standards of the world, nobodies in the mind of the world have something of supreme worth and supreme value that never ends in Jesus Christ. And that very same gospel says that those who are wealthier and accomplished in the eyes of the world, also have something of supreme worth and supreme value by faith in Jesus Christ. Something that makes every other accomplishment, every other achievement in this life trivial, small, minuscule in comparison. The only proper basis of confidence in this world is our identification with Jesus Christ. And we ought to be especially grateful on this day for mothers and others who have stressed identification with Jesus Christ above all else. Sure, we're thankful and grateful for those that 
have nurtured us and provided for us and cared for us. But we ought to be especially grateful today for those that taught and modeled the gospel of Jesus Christ to us, urging us to to find our worth and our identity and our value and the worth and the value and the identity of others in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only proper basis of confidence in this world is our identification with Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with three starting points for applying the truth of this life to your, this, the truth of this passage to, to your life and to my life today. And firstly, let's embrace an eternal perspective on life. Embrace an eternal perspective on life for believers in Jesus Christ. For that matter, for all, this is not our ultimate home. This is not our final resting place. Eternity is not simply about how much we accomplish, how much we do in this life on our own. We must not place too much emphasis on what we cannot take into the next life. Embrace an eternal perspective on life. Secondly, beware of false worldly security. Beware of false worldly security. We know that all will fade away. No matter how much you have in your bank account, no matter how much you have in real estate investments, no matter how much you have in your 401k, no matter how many plaques you have on your wall, it will fade away. It will disappear. And the only thing that provides eternal and lasting and sure and secure security is faith in Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel exalts the poor and the lowly in this world. Embrace an eternal perspective on life. Beware of false worldly security. And lastly, revel in the riches of Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in Christ for salvation, then revel in the riches of Christ. Delight in Christ. Whether rich or poor, both the poor and the rich in this world, the only thing that they have to boast about, to truly boast about, to truly find confidence in, is their status, their position before God through Jesus Christ. A former Methodist British minister wrote these words. He said, the present life, the present life, this life is full of Christ. And yet in the future, there is still more Christ. For believers, this life is full of Jesus Christ. And in the future, there is even more Christ. The only thing that truly satisfies in this life or in the next is Jesus Christ. Therefore, revel in the riches of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for another day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people today. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you confidently, boldly through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you give us a new position and status through Christ. Lord, no longer guilty, 
no longer condemned, no longer ruled by sin, but Lord, you see us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, innocent children, heirs. Lord, we thank you. Lord, remind us today of our position in you. Lord, may we find confidence only in our identification with your son, Jesus Christ, today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.